Welcome to Unsung Heroes with Johnny, Daniel, James, and Sam. Our goal is to leave no hero unsung. Welcome to the Unsung Heroes Podcast. I'm Johnny, and I'm joined with some of my friends once again. We have James. Hello. We have Samuel. Hello. And we have Daniel. Yeah. Oh, boy, he's a Texan. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, uh, I'm going to be going to Texas soon, so I got to get ready. Oh, there you go. Have you been to Texas before? No, I never have. Oh, I'm more so go. impressed by your ability to do a cowboy accent, man. That's yeah, that's <laughs> right, man. As a Turkish man, I think it's have. a little stereotypical, but it's yeah, good. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> know about that. Thing. Like, it's got to be hard, you know, because <laughs> that's like amazing. So, so you're Turkish, but you can so like easily imitate a, a stereotyped accent. I mean, that's hard to do. It's true. You know? Yeah, think yeah. about that. Think about that for a second, guys. How that's impressive true. am I? You are wow. so impressive. You, you give him a clap. Just just, just, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know who is also impressive? The man that we will be talking about today. Wow, talk about that transition. Uh, That's you right. know what else is impressive? That transition. It's also <laughs> that was, really that impressive. Was it. Yeah. And you know what else would be impressive? If we had any sponsors. If you want to sponsor uh. this podcast, <laughs> please reach out to us. You can email anything, really. So I do want to just make a couple announcements uh, real quick. Um, so now is the time that is getting crazy in our lives. Samuel might be moving, James is moving, and we're starting up school again. So we are going to be taking a break from the podcast, uh, for at least a few weeks, maybe a few months, but we will definitely let you guys know that, uh, when we're coming back. But this episode officially marks the end of season one for us. Wow. Yeah. It's been crazy. 24 episodes, right? Uh, 24? 24, yeah, 20 I think so. Four? I think 24. Five? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think yeah, 24. 24 and a movie. Yeah. Uh, 24 <laughs> no, episodes in a movie. Nope, not quite. <laughs> uh, but we want to thank uh, all of our listeners for listening thus far. Uh, it's been truly appreciated. Um, the, you know, we, uh, we love making this kind of content and we hope you guys enjoy it as well. Uh, but we are going to be taking a short break, so... Um, you know, if you don't see an episode next week, don't freak out and email us. I mean, if you want to email us, you can, but just say like, hi, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, um, yeah, thanks so much for listening. And we're going to carry on with the rest of the episode. Okay, but back to the person that we're talking about today. Yes. His name is Sidney Riley. And some of our listeners might have heard of him before because he is quite a well-known uh, spy from the late 1800s, early 1900s, all, even through the First World War. So I am technically breaking a rule here because he mm. did do stuff in the First World War. Mm. I thought we talked about World War II, though. So I think you're good. Well, Unsung? yeah. Unsung? Confirm? Unsung? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so here's the thing. This guy was a spy. He did a lot of different stuff both before and after World War One and during World War One. And this guy is insane. He did spy work for at least four different countries. 
Okay, well, were these countries allied with one another or no? Sometimes, sometimes not. This is what I'm talking about. He he ran around the whole globe doing whatever he wanted. I love how he just liked being a spy. Like most yeah. people, it's like I spy for a for my country for a patriotic purpose. Some or... say those countries are allied. Some say they were just kind of long distance friends. Some say it was platonic. Some say they were they were frenemies. You know, frenemies. <laughs> this guy just liked to spy. Wow. Yeah. Um. And he's actually known as the Ace of Spies, uh, and oh, he's been, I get it. He's been called the greatest spy of all of history, which I don't huh? know if we can really verify that because a lot of spies we don't have record of. But and they're the real greatest ones. <laughs> you don't even know about them. That, that's you know, true. That, that's so true. Like the greatest spy would be somebody that you would who would have never been known exactly yeah, like if he's the most well-known spy doesn't that make him the worst spy <laughs> that would make him the worst <laughs> everybody knows about him you know? <laughs> yeah uh but he was actually um the inspiration for the f- original james bond novels oh, so if you think james bond type spy work that's what this guy does wow he's oh. like the original james bond wow. um and, uh, you know, complete with all of his womanizing ways and everything, he had some of that stuff going on with his career as well. So really fascinating stuff. Um, he did, I mean, he dabbled in business wherever he was doing spy work stuff. And he kind of would play both sides to get the most profit out of whatever he, whatever situation he could. So he was profiteering off of his spy work? Sometimes, yes. Sometimes, yes. Of course he was a womanizer. Look how many countries he cheated on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) Uh, But yes, he he did a lot of incredible things. And so that's why I decided to talk about him today. So... I was trying. I was trying to think of a non-copyrighted spy song, but I can't think of anything. So (laughs) that's true. We could just do. We could do like a knockoff version of like of the James Bond theme or yeah, whatever. Yeah, a Mission Impossible theme song playing Mission right Impossible, now. Mission Impossible, yeah, like... Because you're singing it, it doesn't get copyrighted, so we're right? good, right? right. Well, and it's, and it's different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, their own parody of it, yeah. Parody law. Yep. <laughs> All right, well, without further ado, I shall get into his life story. So... Sidney Riley uh, was not actually his uh, first name, his original name. Uh, That's not my real name. Yeah. (laughs) Of course. Uh, Although, here's the thing. His origin and his real name and all that is not actually known for solid because he gave so many different people different information about his origins that nobody could really nail down where he was from, what his first name was. Maybe he is a good spy then. Wow. Yeah, maybe. I I lied so much, I forgot where I was from. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know who I am anymore. (laughs) Um, But, so, he told different versions of his background to confuse and mislead investigators who were trying to investigate him. So, at different times in his life, he claimed to be the son of an Irish merchant seaman, an Irish clergyman, or an aristocratic landowner in the court of Emperor Alexander III of Russia. Uh, so even like where he's from, like what country he's from, he he switched it up. What, what was, so I guess it's hard to answer the question, but like, did he speak Russian very well? Or did, was he, yes, so did he, he speak an Irish accent very well? Was he so polyglot? Or? I, I believe his first language was Russian. Uh, but he was definitely a polyglot or at least multilingual mm. um, because he ended up 
learning, you know, English, Russian, I believe even some Chinese and Japanese. Uh, and so he, yeah, he gets uh, French probably. I mean, he does stuff all over the place. So, um, but some of the most prolific theories of his origins is that he was born, uh, Zygmunt Markovich Rosenblum, uh, (laughs) in, uh, 1874 in Odessa, Russia, not Odessa, Texas, for those Texans out there. Um, <laughs> yeah! Uh, Odessa, Te- uh, Russia was a, a black seaport uh, under Emperor Alexander II. Um, and in, according, to this fear, according to this theory, his father was Marcus, uh, uh, Marcus Rosenblum, who was a doctor and shipping agent. Um. And his mother came from an impoverished kind of noble family there. Uh, But that's just one of the theories. Another theory is that his birth name was Solomon Rosenblum. Mm. And he was born um, in the Jewish Kurzan Guberna of the Russian Empire. That's just one of the regions. Um, And that he was the illegitimate son of Paulina and Dr. Mikhail Abramovich Rosenblum. So the name Rosenblum is people are pretty sure that's that was his like a- actual last name. Yeah, uh, that doesn't sound very Russian. You know what I mean? Hmm. Like, yeah. yeah, that's true. So I- I'm guessing it's probably Russia. Yes, something in Russia is where his actual origin was. Yeah, something in Russia, and I, his family might have been Jewish yeah, or maybe. you know at least partly mm-hmm. Jewish. Um. There was another theory that he was born Sigmund Georgievich Rosenblum on the 24th of March, 1874, and he was the only son of Pauline and Gregory Rosenblum, which were a, a wealthy Polish-Jewish family. So maybe Polish in there as well. See, that, that seems a little bit more likely, but I, I just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, so he he's either born in 1874 or 1873, somewhere in, in there. So in the early uh, 1890s, so he's, you know, around uh, 20, maybe in his late teens here, he is part of what's called the Friends of Enlightenment in Russia, which is kind of this, um, like, revolutionary group. They were kind of against part of the government. So he was arrested for being part of this group. Uh, but he, he was let out a short time later. And when he was let out, according to you know, some of the reports, his father told him that his mother died while he was in in jail and that he wasn't even his real father. His real father was his mother's doctor, Mikhail Rosenblum. Huh. And so what? <laughs> there's like a bunch of, what? yeah. So, so we don't know who this original father who's telling him this is, uh, but he, according to this guy, he was the illegitimate son of his mother and his mother's doctor, Mikhail Rosenblum. This guy's life is already like a spy movie. He hasn't even started. You know? Yeah, he hasn't even started. <laughs> guys, you the, have the no... spy life chose him, man. Yeah, yeah you guys have no idea, okay? Uh. So he, he was so upset by this news that he faked his death and left the country. Um, ah, a natural. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Again, he's like around 20, maybe early 20s at this point. Um. And he leaves the country. Now, there's two different uh, stories, competing stories about what happened to him right after he left the country. The first says that he went to Brazil and he worked as a dock worker. um, And apparently there was like this sort of British company there who was, or yeah, it was a British company who was like doing some of the dock work. 
and he worked for a man who was one day attacked by hostile natives in Brazil, and he pretty much saved his boss's life uh, from these from these natives who were trying to attack him. Apparently, he grabbed his boss's pistol out of his boss's holster and shot at them until they left. That'll work. Yeah, exactly. Because of this, he was rewarded with uh, 1,500 pounds and safe travel to Britain. So Mm. that's one of the theories. But there's another theory that he actually went to France and he and an accomplice actually robbed two French revolutionaries and then fled to Britain. So... So this this guy's basically the Joker. We're like every time he tells his backstory, it's, <laughs> it's a like different, different story. story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so some of these are like people collecting records based on like aliases that he gave, and so then they trace back to like which countries he was in at different points. So some people say he couldn't have been in Brazil at this point because there are records of him in France, and that's why there's these competing stories. Interesting. But um, so either way. What ended up happening is he arrived in Britain with a sum of money, either from having robbed these French guys or having been rewarded it from saving his boss's life. Either way, he gets to Britain, he has some money. Um, So he started to have a relationship at this point with a woman named Ethel Boole, who was a writer who later actually published a novel called The Gadfly. uh, And the main character was based on Riley. Um, but uh, I, I will say at this point, he wasn't actually going by Riley. He was going by Rosenblum, uh, based on, you know, his origins. And so, uh, but it was based on him in this book. Um, so he's there in London at this point, and he starts a small medicine selling company, uh, kind of a it wasn't really a store it was more of like this company where if anyone needed help they could like come to tell me this guy had this interesting of a setup and he goes into pharmaceuticals like (laughs) (laughs) he goes into mlm come on this 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 pharmaceuticals is uh is still set up Uh, you'll you'll hear about later Uh (laughs) well actually yeah this is actually kind of the beginning of his of his spy work right here because while he's doing this working for this uh, you know, selling medicine. He starts working for Scotland Yard's intelligence branch under William Melville. Oh, wow. okay. Now, now I'm okay. tuning in. Interesting. Yeah. So at this point, he's wait, Daniel. Have you not been listening this whole time? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's a pharmaceutical guy. You know. <laughs> Once I hear William Melville, I just have to tune in. No, yeah. <laughs> Once I heard Scotland Yard. <laughs> Yeah, so now he's officially working for uh, the the British government, uh, Scotland Yard, and uh, and uh, under their intelligence kind of branch. So, um, okay, so he's it, this is just for while he's in London, he's trying to like just work for them. He's not really doing any spy work exactly for them at this point, and so he's not really like going to foreign countries and being a spy yet. But what happens during this time... Okay, so this this is the part where I really got tuned into this story. Okay. <laughs> Wait, you mean to tell me you haven't been listening this whole time? <laughs> okay, so, so get this. Okay, in 1897, Riley meets a man named Reverend Hugh Thomas. Okay, a reverend, Hugh mm-hmm. Thomas. Wow. 
And they meet because Hugh Thomas had this kidney infection and he needed the medicine. And so he comes to Riley to get this medicine. Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually uh, Riley meets Reverend Hugh Thomas's wife and starts having an affair with his wife. Oh, okay. He's a James Bond. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Viewer discretion advised. (laughs) So what ha- what happens is so so Hugh Thomas's wife is Margaret Margaret Thomas, so they have an affair. It's un it's unsure how long they had the affair for, but on March fourth, eighteen ninety eight, Hugh Thomas altered his will to make his wife the executor of his will, uh, which pretty much means he made his wife in charge of his will and gave her most of his things when he dies. Um, hmm. So he's still unaware of the affair going on, and he pretty much is leaving most things to his wife. <sighs> Poor guy. That have so he changed his will on March fourth. On March twelfth, Hugh Thomas dies. Oh, less no. than less. Well, ab- about a week later. Oh no! Coincidence? Oh no! Oh boy! We got so, a conspiracy see, how do, here. How do I? The, I see. How do, I don't know what's real anymore. How do I know this whole story isn't fake? Though? Okay, so. <laughs> uh, well, hold on. Hold how on. do I know he's not a bear? I mean, <laughs> hold on to your butts, guys, because there is a doctor named Doctor T. W. Andrew who certified that Hugh Thomas's death was due to just normal influenza. Okay. But oh, no. Doctor T. W. Andrew. Oh, is no. a mysterious doctor because there is no record of a T.W. Andrew in Britain at this time. <laughs> oh, Don't tell oh, me that this shoot. guy disguised no. himself as a doctor. <laughs> oh, and maybe this whole story is made up again. I don't know. What on earth? <laughs> look, How do we know look, Great Britain exists? How do we know? <laughs> uh, in, in all actuality, w- witnesses do say that his description matches that of Sidney Riley. So... It is... Uh, I'll let you guys make the conclusions. Oh, there. man, that's shady. Yeah. Well, what's even what's even more shady is that after Hugh Thomas dies, Margaret inherits eight hundred thousand pounds, which in eighteen ninety eight eight hundred thousand pounds is the equivalent of one hundred and thirty million dollars. Oh my what? gosh! You're Wait, kidding me. What, what, what sort of? I don't think Reverend means what I thought it meant. <laughs> I'm about to say, how is this guy making what is this going much on? money? What's up, Reverend? <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm not exactly sure. He, mu- I mean, he must have been obviously a very okay. wealthy, wealthy guy. So all this time he's working for Scotland Yard. Yes, is that what he's? Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is kind of a little side note, but why on earth would Scotland Yard just hire people off the street, especially if they were possibly foreigners? Well, if they did, you wouldn't know now, would you, Samuel? I know, but <laughs> well, just it wasn't like the smartest. Maybe, thing to do. maybe this was his entrance exam, Sam. Who knows? <laughs> oh, maybe <laughs> you need to seduce this man's wife. And- <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm not sure. He, he might have been in London for a while before this, and you know, made connections, okay. and he didn't just randomly show up and. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I'm sure he had connect- connections. <laughs> Fresh somehow. off the boat, sir. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I got a job for you, son. We got a good job. <laughs> Don't know why we're from the States. But. It's like, who, who are you and where are you from? It's like, yeah. well, I'm from Ireland, but I'm also from Russia. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a bunch of 19th, 1930s American spies in suits in England. <laughs> yeah. Fresh off the boat, sir. Oh, yeah, come on in, son. <laughs> we got a job for you. Yeah, so... Margaret Thomas inherits 800,000 pounds. And uh, Sidney Riley and Margaret Thomas are married four months later. Mm. Oh, a little wow. quick. Mm. Yeah. A little soon. 
Wait, what happened to the journalist lady? Oh, they, um, so they had their relationship while, so it, that was according to that one story in which he was in France. That's the other, that's so the other he timeline, was in France dude. before that. <laughs> Way different timeline. Yeah. Get back on this one. <laughs> it's not canon. The other timeline. Oh, man. <laughs> no, no, no. That, that was while he was in France. But that's only according one, to one of the theories. If he had gone to Brazil, then he wouldn't have even had that relationship with her. Gotcha, right. gotcha. Right. Uh, but I, I, I believe most historians think that he, had, he went to France and he had this relationship and uh, kind of stole his 1,500 pounds and went to Britain. <laughs> So, okay, so now, uh, so now Riley's married to Margaret, um, and he's still working for Scotland Yard, and they actually assign him to move to Russia and not necessarily be spies, like, not necessarily be like undercover, have fake identities or anything, but move there just so that they can start getting some more information in general and start giving it back to uh, Britain. Mm -hmm. So they move to St. Petersburg. And in St. Petersburg, he meets a Japanese general named Akashi Motojiro. Uh And Motojiro recognizes that Riley would be really great at spying. Now, I don't know know how he recognizes this. It's probably like the newspaper that has like the eyes cut out. Yeah, no. The hat that he's wearing. (laughs) So Motojiro was a keen judge of character, and he believed that the most reliable spies were those who were not motivated by feelings of sympathy towards their country, but instead motivated by profit. And so he Mm. accordingly... After having talked to Riley, believed that Riley was this type of person. <laughs> You're motivated by profit. <laughs> Clearly, you can be bought. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> okay, I feel like this is like a choose-your-own-adventure story. Yeah. Like, just oh, yeah. based on whatever choice you want to make, it goes a totally different direction. So, yeah. like, we can basically make a whole new story of this guy based on... Yeah, we can do this episode three or four times and be yeah. a different story every a time. A different story, yeah, exactly. Uh, so... What happens is Motojiro... So at, at this time, there's a war kind of brewing between Russia and Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Motojiro hires Riley to spy on the Russians. And uh, th- he wanted to learn specifically the strength of the Russian forces that are in the Far East, kind of in the north part of eastern China, um, and learn more about their plans and what they're doing there. So... Um, he hires him to do this. But before Riley goes there, he takes a trip down to the Caucasus region because he's still technically working for the British government. And so he <laughs> starts he starts gaining intelligence about the oil production that's happening in the Caucasus, sends that info back to Britain, and then moves to Far East to, to start spying for the Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> this guy would be like a spy on Craigslist. So he's spying for two countries at once at yes. this point. At, technically, at this point, he is working for Japan and England. Wow. So during this the Russo-Japanese War, this was like right after the period where Japan had a major transformative shift in their whole society, where they were trying to modernize and get their like military up to speed. And this, this war is pretty incredible because... Um, this was like the first time that Japan like totally destroyed a major Western power and this like totally shocked the world. Hmm. Um, so that's interesting that he got kind of got involved in this whole thing himself. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, 
Yeah, exactly. So he moves, at this point, he moves to Manchuria, which is in northeast China. Uh, and it's kind of under the control of, uh, of Russia at this point. So there's Port Arthur in China on the coast that's under Russian control. And he moves there under the disguise of a timber company owner. Um, and he stays there for four years. Now, this is the point where it's a little bit hazy because he's still technically married to Margaret, but she's not with him at this point. So I don't know where, I think she might still be back in St. Petersburg, but he stays in Port Arthur for four years. And, uh, and I don't know where his wife is at this point. So. Yeah. You know, as his wife, I, I, I might not be the most confident. Yeah. In my, uh... <laughs> Trustworthy. Yeah. yeah. After like year three, she might be thinking he might be a spy. Yeah. yeah. Or he might not. Be, yeah. Well, I think she, she knew at least that he was working for the British government. Yeah. But the rest of this stuff, I don't know how much she knew about what he was doing. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so he's here in Port Arthur in China, which is actually controlled by the Russians. And um, this port was actually planned to be under attack by the Japanese. So they, w- they had sent Riley there to gain more intelligence on the Russians and stuff. Uh, but while he was there, he made a ton of money because him and a couple of partners started this company that was like buying and selling foodstuffs. And he basically was war profiteering and made a ton of money uh, mm, while he yeah. was there. <laughs> Late 1800s, early 1900s in Manchuria. You can make a lot of money selling food. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. That was a rough time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Golly. Uh, so, okay, January 1904. So he's been there for a while now. Sidney Riley and a friend of his, a Chinese engineer named Ho Liang Sheng, sneak into one of the Russian bases and uh, steal the Russian defense plans of Port Arthur. (laughs) (laughs) They just left their plans on the open? (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, they did have to break in and take it, but yes. Wow. (laughs) So they give the plans to the Japanese, and the Japanese start their attack based on now they know the defense plan for the port. However, it wasn't exactly the best time to be attacking based on like, I believe it was like weather conditions and stuff. So they, it didn't end up being that successful of an attack, but he still helped them uh, throughout that whole process. So after this, uh, Riley learns that actually one of his subordinates in his company might be a Russian spy. So he, he learns that the Russians are suspicious of him, and one of his subordinates might be spying on him. So he pretty much flees the flees China at that point, and he takes a pit stop in Japan to pick up his money that they owe him for all of the spy work that he's done. So they give him more money, and mm-hmm. then he goes uh, goes to Paris from there. So I know this. some of this might be confusing and we're bouncing around a lot of different places and doing a lot of different things. Um, he just, he did so much. I'm trying to keep it concise and really just hit the highlights. Yeah, right. Um, so bear, bear with me here. Um, so he, he's, he goes to Paris at this point. And while he's in Paris, he meets back with William Melville. Um, and he gets a new assignment now, this is where it sounds like James Bond type stuff. Like he meets back with his boss and he's like, I've got a new assignment for you. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so this starts what's called the Darcy Affair. So there's a man named William Knox Darcy. He was the founder of a massive oil company. And he 
had just been making these deals and contracts with uh, uh, Mosafar al-Din Shah Qajar. Yeah, Mosafar al-Din Shah Qajar, uh, who was uh, one of the leaders in southern Persia. Hmm. And he had made this deal for the exclusive oil rights to southern Persia. And he, it was rumored that he was making similar negotiations with the Ottomans. Hey. Hey, story just got interesting. There we go. <laughs> exactly. Daniel's tuning in again. Hey, welcome back, He's man. He's tuning in. <laughs> so this man, William Knox Darcy, is pretty much an oil magnate, right? He's got this massive oil company. He's got these massive deals with these, uh, you know, Middle Eastern oil people. So uh, the British government actually predicts at this point that most of their fuel for their navy is going to be switched to oil instead of coal. Uh, because at this point, they've been using a lot of coal and they want to switch to oil. So they want to make a deal with William Knox Darcy. But they also hear a rumor that William Knox Darcy is going to make this deal with France instead of Britain. Can't have that. Nope, can't nope. have that. So they send Riley. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Who is either French, Russian, English, Irish, or German. Polish. We don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Polish. Yeah, Pol Jewish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no. Jewish. <laughs> Uh, so they send Riley, and so uh, Darcy is in Cannes at this point. I think it's pronounced Cannes, France. Um, and so he goes from Paris to Cannes to meet with Darcy. He actually approaches Darcy disguised as a Catholic priest. Oh, <laughs> and then he says, Shalom. Shalom. <laughs> ah, he's Jewish. Oh, goodness. <laughs> or Turkish. Um, <laughs> he approaches him disguised as, as this Catholic priest. He actually kind of barges onto his boat unannounced, sort of, which is a little weird. And I think they kind of let him do that just because they think he's a Catholic priest. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but wow. he, he goes up to him and kind of whispers to him that the British want to give him a better deal for the oil than the French. <laughs> Can you imagine a priest going up to you, whispering in your ear, like... British want the oil. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have a better deal. I'll like, be like, who are get you? Get away from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this ends up working, and Darcy actually uh, backs out of his deal with the French and goes to, <laughs> to England. You coward! <laughs> you coward! <laughs> well, you got to take a wise spiritual man's advice, dude. That's right. No, dude. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, all right, if I think it's the Lord telling me, right? <laughs> the Lord said, "Yeah, go to Britain." <laughs> Um, so at this point, um, yeah, so he's there in France. Uh, the next kind of interesting thing that he did uh, was in 1909. Uh, he goes to Frankfurt, Germany, and there was this air show with all these like new planes and stuff that the Germans had built uh, in Frankfurt. And one of his assignments was to get the um, kind of the plans or the schematics for this new type of engine part called a magneto, which is in most engines, but it was in the airplane engines that the Germans had built. And his assignment was to get this. So reportedly, there was a plane crash at this air show. One of the planes crashed and uh, kind of blew up and the pieces went flying everywhere. And Riley disguised himself as one of the workers, kind of went up and started 
you know, collecting this stuff from the crashed plane, and he replaced the Magneto with a set with a different one, with one of the older versions of the Magneto, and he kind of stole it away to one of the hangars, took documentation of it, and then went back and replaced it again so that no one would notice that it was missing. Dang. Wow. Hmm. Um, That's crazy. And also, I'm, imagine this guy's closet. Like, where yeah. does he get all these disguises? He has, has a bunch of costumes and outfits. I know, yeah. <laughs> it's like just as expansive as the Dean from Community. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> Except maybe a little more con- more inconspicuous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was that was one of the things he did. So then later in 1909, um, he, he had a, another task, which was to find out the weapon plans of the Germans. So at this point... The German regime was kind of building and and getting ready for World War One, and the British didn't really know much about what weapons the Germans had, so they sent Riley, and he went to Essen, Germany, disguised as a man named Karl Hahn, who was a shipyard worker, and because of this assignment, he had actually learned how to weld to prepare for this assignment. That's dedication. Wow. Yeah. So he gets to Essen. Disguised as Karl Hahn, and he gets a job as a welder for the Krupp Gunworks plant in Germany. So this is where they're manufacturing all their weapons. And he's just a normal welder for a while, but then he becomes part of the plant fire brigade, which is pretty much just certain workers are tasked with making sure fire codes are upkept, pretty much. Mm-hmm. So he goes to the foreman, who's like the boss of the whole plant, and he convinces him that, you know, the fire brigade should really have access to the plant schematics because <laughs> we need to learn where to put fire extinguishers and stuff like that. So you should really give us all the plant schematics. <laughs> wow. And so oh. he kind of tricks him and steals them, steals these uh, schematics for the whole plant and, and the weapons. He gets like plans for different weapons too. And so what he does is he tears them into four pieces and mails each piece separately so that if somebody intercepts the mail, they don't have the whole the whole plan. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> uh, and that's how he gets that information back to Britain. Wow. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty insane. It's pretty clever, that's man. wild. Yeah. That's crazy. So at this point, I'm not really sure why he does this at this point, but he goes back to St. Petersburg and he forms the Wings Aviation Club, which is like this kind of elitist club of rich people. <laughs> Naturally. And he becomes friends with a man named Alexander Gra- Grammatikov. Uh, Grammatikov. Grammatikov, huh. yes. It's the guy who invented grammar. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. So hmm. there's some interesting um, political stuff happening in Russia at this point, and this is kind of gearing up for what he's going to do in World War, uh, during World War I. But... Um, Alexander Gromatikov was um, not a friend to the Bolshevik uh, leadership of Russia. Mm-hmm. And there was kind of this undercurrent of some of the people in Russia don't, don't like the Bolsheviks and don't like Lenin, uh, who was the leader at this point. Wait, this is, what year is this? This is uh, 1909, 1910. Oh, this is, this is still during the, the Tsar, though. It's, yeah, the Tsardom. Oh, right, yes, yes. Right. But no, he was, that's true. Obviously, Lenin was still a... You know, probably party. Right, 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 right. I'm, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to set you guys up for what happens during World War One. Uh, right, right, yeah. So, um, not during 1909, but yeah, obviously later when mm-hmm. when Lenin's there, there's this undercurrent. But, uh, but yeah, uh, exactly. so, 
Um, at the beginning of World War One, for the first couple of years, he actually is in the U.S. in New York City. Um, and he's selling munitions to Germany and Russia. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> if only they knew. Uh, but once the war kind of gets more started, he he doesn't do this anymore because it's no longer profitable because nobody's buying from him anymore because they're too busy in the middle of a war. Uh, so he goes to a man named Norman Thwaites, who's actually working for British intelligence in New York City. Um, and he kind of, you know, gives him his resume saying, I worked with William Melville and I'm a spy and whatever, whatever. <laughs> and so he is, uh, he is hired as one of their intelligence officers just there in New York City, just kind of gathering information about uh, Soviet sympathizers in the U.S., I really wonder what a spy's resume looks like. Yeah, I know. I know. Like, does he have references from like, previous? Like, like, you know that war in the Balkans? Yeah, that was me. Yeah, <laughs> like, he's like yeah, maybe from, nowadays. Yeah. From 1904 to 1905, redacted. <laughs> <laughs> or like, what is he going to say? Remember that time your president was killed? That was me. Right. That was so, me. Like, the whole yeah. resume is just I did a good redacted. Job, so. yeah, yeah, the whole resume is just like redacted, redacted. <laughs> it's like a, like I'm. A modern day like spy LinkedIn or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nothing personal, kid. S- special skills <laughs> redacted. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, so he's in New York City. He gathers intelligence on Soviet sympathizers and stuff. And Thwaites is actually very impressed by his intelligence gathering skills. And so he actually sends him back to Britain to be uh, more officially hired once again by British intelligence. Uh, And so he is sent by British intelligence back into Russia to gain more information. And while he does this, he regroups with his old friend, Alexander Gramatikov. Ah, Gramatikov. (laughs) Yeah, so this is is where he kind of starts spying on the Russians in the middle of World War I. And Remember all that uh, political stuff I set up earlier? Well, this is when it all comes mm-hmm. into fruition. Ah. So at this point, uh, so this is kind of in um, 19, 18, 19, 19, uh, when Riley starts to try to rile up some of this political uh, stuff that's going on in Russia. Because one of the things that the British wanted to do was actually start this revolution in Russia and overthrow the, the, the Bolshevik rule and virtually assassinate Vladimir Lenin, actually. They wanted to get um, their spies and the Russian people themselves to overthrow the government and assassinate Vladimir Lenin. And so they, wow. they, they start this entire coup plot uh, to have this happen. So uh, there's a man named Robert Bruce Lockhart, um, and he's actually kind of lower level in British intelligence at this point. <laughs> he only has one or two backstories, <laughs> not five or six. It's no, just a level one. <laughs> no, I, I would say even less. Like he he was like almost even just a, like a newly hired intern almost he accidentally became a spy <laughs> pretty much fresh <laughs> off the boat huh? grabbed he the was, coffee for all the spies yeah, yeah he was like fresh blood pretty much and uh, for some reason the british prime minister selected him to lead this entire assignment in <laughs> russia oh it's like the the guy that we just did yeah 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 Zhang-ha. 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 yeah uh, but so lockhart goes there and they kind of have this team there's a guy named Cromie, lockhart and then riley 
they're all there. They're talking to people like Gramatikov, who are trying to stir up this undercurrent of people who are kind of against the government and want to overthrow them. There's this like militant group of Latvians who are helping to supply more weaponry and stuff like that. So there's this kind of this force building and they're trying to overthrow the government and assassinate Vladimir Lenin. And they have this plan to kill Lenin um, during one of his specific meetings that he had with Trotsky. Oh. So they, they know of this, they, they learn of this meeting date and this time and place, and so they're like planning to assassinate him then, right? Okay, so what ends up happening is, uh, like a week before this meeting, there's a woman named Fania Kaplan, who is actually now working for the Socialist Revolutionary Party, um, she tries to assassinate Lenin a week early. And so as Lenin is exiting this building, he's getting into his car. Kaplan calls out to him. He turns towards her and she fires three shots. Uh, one of them narrowly misses his heart. Uh, another one gets lodged in his neck. Oh, gosh. And, oh. and they think that this was such a severe wounding that they thought that he was going to die, actually, but he ended up surviving. Oh, my God. What's that, what is it about Russian assassination attempts and just defying all odds? I know. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah Rasputin, know. right? Like, uh, <laughs> Rasputin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's crazy. So, <laughs> I guess, I, guess, what's end up, guess what ends up happening? I don't even know. Oh, boy. Lenin, right, he was... There's just this assassination attempt. And so, all the people start sympathizing with him. And they're like, oh, oh let's, no. let's, let's come and rally, again, uh, rally behind Lenin now. And so nobody wants to overthrow the government anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was an inside job, man. That's a big yeah. oh plus, plus, now that Lenin is injured, he had to uh, postpone the meeting that he had with Trotsky where he, they were planning to actually assassinate him. So that doesn't even end up oh, happening anymore. She wow. messed up everything. Yeah. Man. So, um, what ends up happening is there's this huge, like, reprisal of the government and everybody, like, tries to ho hold it up again. And they start to crack down on these people who were planning this coup. And so they really go after Cromie, uh, Lockhart, and Riley. Ooh. Because they're like... These people were planning to overthrow the government and assassinate the, the leader. We can't leave them lying around here. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, oh, so, actually, Riley uh, is able to escape. Um, Lockhart is actually captured, but then he is traded back to the British government for uh, one of the captured Russian soldiers. So, they're like doing a prisoner trade pretty much. But Riley is able to escape. He escapes. This is pretty interesting. He chose a pretty dangerous way to escape because he could have just gone through Ukraine to Baku and where there is a network of British agents and safe houses. But instead, he decides to go through Petrograd and the Baltic provinces over to Finland so that he could get his reports to London faster. Mm -hmm. um, wow. So he was trying to do his job quickly, but he was going over... a more dangerous place um 
So he's carrying a falsified Baltic German passport, and he goes through Petrograd and the Baltic provinces to Finland, uh, and then he is able to... Um, Sorry, he's able to get all the way to the German embassy and then sail to Helsinki and then go to Stockholm and then get all the way back to London by November. Wow. Wow. So he kind of goes wow, this crazy. roundabout way to get all the way home out of danger. <laughs> Man. <clears throat> now, at, at this point, he's in England and he's safe from the Russians, but... The Russians still hold a trial for all of the people who had led the coup. Uh, they were He was tried in absentia, which pretty much means without him being present. Uh, so they sentence Riley to death. Hmm. So pretty much if he goes back to Russia and, yeah. and is captured, they are, they are <laughs> allowed dead. to kill him immediately. Oh, Dang. Yikes. So, that sucks. His wife's still there. Yeah, so, yeah, that's another thing. Yeah, I don't know where his wife is at this point. Um, she might have died by this point, but um, I think she might be back in England. Mm-hmm. So, within a week of his return and debriefing from the British Secret Intelligence Service, he's sent back to South Russia. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Under the cover of British trade delegates. So he's like under the cover of like doing trade. Um, And this was relatively successful. He's there to uncover more information about the Black Sea coast and stuff and uh, and more information about the Bolsheviks and all this stuff. And so Mm -hmm. he's, he's pretty much able to do that. But while he's there, he sees that, you know, a lot of the people there, um, they're in need for allied military assistance, pretty much, uh, because South Russia was, you know, it's it's not exactly the same region, you know, as the as the earlier parts of Russia where he was, like Moscow and St. Petersburg. And so he wants to get them allied military assistance. Um, and so he kind of just has this little stint as a, you know, he's a, he's a spy there. And that was from 1919 to 1924. So, um, while he's actually, so in the middle of this, in 1922, he, uh, he visits Berlin and he meets a young actress named Pepita Bobadilla. Oh, no. And, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, uh, so she is an attractive blonde, uh, and she actually claimed to be from South America, but she was not. Her real name was actually Nellie Burton. Oh, that's what really attracted him to her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she also a oh, spy? fake name, Wait, yeah. <laughs> uh, and she um, she was the widow of a well-known British playwright. Man. Um, Checks all the boxes, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he actually ends up marrying her in 1923. Um, and they were only married for 30 months. Oh, no. But not because their relationship fell apart but because Riley would come to a premature end <gasps> to his life. Oh, oh. The tragic ending. No. Oh, no. So, wow. according to Riley's wife, Pepita Bobadilla, he was, Riley was determined to return to Russia to see if he could find his friends whom he had believed to be still alive that he had in Russia. Right. So, in 1925... He went to Russia 
and he never came back. Oh, wow. No. So they never heard from him. He, yeah, they never heard from him. They only heard from the Russian government that claimed to have captured and killed him. So what happens is um, he goes and he meets up with, uh, he meets up with Alexander Gramatikov, his old friend. Uh, he, good old Gramatikov. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he meets up with Alexander Kutipov and Vladimir Burtsev. And um, they all discuss how they can make contact with there are there are like anti-Bolshevik organizations and one known as the Trust in Moscow. And so they agree that they're going to go over to the Trust uh, and kind of join this this anti-Russian government organization. But in reality, the Trust was just an elaborate counter espionage deception created by the Russian government to capture oh, all of oh. these. It's a trap. How could yeah. they fall for that? So it was it was yeah. a trap. So he goes there and he's immediately captured. Apparently, according so we don't have word from anyone besides the Russian government, but he was reportedly killed in the woods. Uh, they yeah. they just executed him immediately. And uh, there are some theories that he survived and went back to Britain, but most people think that that was his end, that he died. Right, right. Interesting. Uh, then. So come back wow. next next week, right, for I a whole know. new episode about the same guy. Just yeah, <laughs> just different. with completely different events. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, so that's basically his life. He, uh, you know, many uh, journalists and writers started to pick up the different pieces of what he had done throughout his life. And so there were like novels written about him, bi biographies yeah. uh, about his life. And then that sparked uh, the the James Bond series, which uh, kind That's of was crazy. inspired by him. Yeah. Man. Wow. You know, I feel like he's the kind of guy, this is kind of a strange analogy, but if you're playing like D&D, &D, for example, and you have that one guy who always wants to go against what the DM says. Yeah. <laughs> but but he keeps but he keeps rolling so high. Yeah, but <laughs> exactly. he keeps like <laughs> being super successful so the DM just has to keep going with it. Yeah. yeah and so he just makes up. this completely alternate storyline. <laughs> yeah. Like I feel like that's guy this guy's life in a nutshell. Yeah, that's so true. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> man, that's a great story, John. Appreciate that, man. Yeah. Yeah. I I know it has a lot of twists and turns and yeah. he does i mean there's like different like chunks of things which are pretty much the different uh missions that he went on but i yeah. feel like talking about his whole life is like going through like five james bond movies <laughs> in one right yeah <laughs> you know? i get why he was the inspiration for that yeah you know, it makes a lot of yeah. sense so. all right everyone everyone give your your thoughts on how his life ended what do you think happened what did he mm -hmm. die or not you know, yeah, I, I, my my theory is that the girl he was last married to murdered him, <laughs> but outspied him by telling people that he went to Russia and died there. Oh, dude, she had contacts in the in the the Bolsheviks. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I, I think he probably did die in Russia. It makes sense, honestly. I mean, they, you know, they we know they were all up in the spying espionage life themselves. So I'm sure they had ways to to counter that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, man, I mean, he really, I if if I was in his shoes, which Obviously, if I was in his shoes, I don't think I would have been able to do half the things that he did. <laughs> but I wouldn't, I definitely would not have gone back to Russia. It's like yeah, the yeah. one place where you're just going to be killed as soon as you're found out. Yeah. It's like he yeah. was asking for it. 
and now yeah but apparently apparently he had all his friends back there yeah yeah you can i mean you can argue uh, sure he was married but you know in a spy life you probably don't make any friends yeah so the the people he supposedly went back for in russia like I, i'd imagine those were really the only people he felt like a you know companionship true friendship towards so yeah that's probably true well yeah. i'll say i'll get on the conspiracy train because Ooh. you know I, I don't know it just seems like it seems too clean cut Right for, for him to have just kind of died in the woods, you know. Yes, he's too smart for this. How is yeah. he going to be? How is he going to be debated by yeah, the Russian exactly. government? Like, I just feel like that would be a really convenient way for the government to make up that they, I don't know, that he escaped. Okay, here's the Which, thing, though. We, because of his previous exploits, we've been conditioned to think of his life like a movie. But that's not how movies work, you know? And that's how no, life it works. it is, it's, James. It's, no. Life does, sorry, life doesn't work that way. You know, sometimes people just... Life, you stop know, being get, a realist, James. <laughs> this is but, our this, story. This is our podcast. This is our podcast. <laughs> yeah. We can do what, what we want with it. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the story of Sidney Riley or, uh, or Rosenblum or whatever... His name really was. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, so now we're going to sing a song about him. James, have you been taking notes? I took a couple, but oh. I, I didn't get very far. I had some good ideas for rhymes, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Well, we'll see. Yeah, we'll what? see how it goes. What uh, What are you thinking of uh, doing for it? What kind of genre and stuff? Mm. 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 <laughs> That's something we'll have to think about mm. here. <laughs> All right, let, we'll cut out and then we'll come back and get something for you guys. All right, we're coming in, and I'm going to do kind of a Texas country song in honor of our man Daniel here. Yeehaw. Oh, yeah. Here we go. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Mm-hmm. That's right, y'all. Sidney Riley was a man of mystery. Story changed like one, two, three. Russia, Poland, France, Brazil. Russia, Poland, France, Brazil. No one knew how he'd be killed. No one knew how he'd be killed. Sydney Riley. Sydney Riley. Sydney Riley. He left behind broken hearts change stories history would not know how to sing his glory he attracted many blondes and now he's known as james bond sydney riley sydney riley sydney riley sydney riley sydney riley There we go. There we go, y'all. Now, I'm not saying that was bad, but if Matthew McConaughey contacts us and wants us to redo that with him singing it, I am okay. (laughs) All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Nice. (laughs) All right, there you go, y'all. Yeah. Well, wow. Cool, cool song, James. That was fun. It didn't really fit the theme, but you know what? It was great. Do we ever really fit the theme? Do yeah, we, we never really fit the theme. You're right. <laughs> we just do whatever we want. That's right. Yep. <laughs> um, cool. All right. So, um, any other closing thoughts on Sidney Riley, guys? Well, whenever you watch a James Bond movie, say, 
Thank you, Sydney. Ryder. Sydney Riley. Yeah. Now, <laughs> thank you, Sydney. Now all of our closing thoughts are about thanking things. Thank you, writers. Thank you, thank you English. Thankful podcast. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Polish Jewish people who gave us Sydney Riley. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah, that's pretty great. All right. Well, that ends uh, this episode, and it ends season one. Uh, wow. Yeah. How how time flies, guys. I know. This has been. This has been a blast. It's been almost a year. It's been close. Yeah. Yeah, because we, rec- we, I think we started recording in, in September. August, in August. September. We, we came yeah. up with the idea for the podcast like the yeah, summer. Yeah, yeah. Started planning. Yeah. Like yeah we summer. started. We started planning definitely at least a year ago. But. Yeah. Yeah, and we had we'd recorded I think the first three episodes before we released. Yes. Yeah. I think it was still kind of like a joke. By the, this time last year, we were like, hey, that'd be really funny if we did like a podcast about Heroes. <laughs> I, I was serious about it. Oh, yeah. Well, we were serious, but it was also a funny idea. Like, yeah. never thought yeah. Well, I feel like we kind of started talking about it in college. That's true. But yeah. for some reason, yeah, right. revisited it last summer. And all of a sudden, all four of us were like, yeah, I mean, why, why not? not? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, again, we want to especially thank you guys, our listeners, for sticking with us through this whole season. We will be back. Uh, so stay tuned for some announcements on that. But for now, we're taking a break. Uh, but uh, we've really enjoyed making these episodes. So uh, we will see you guys later. See you all in the next one, y'all. Bye-bye now. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>